You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set up to bring you news, interesting topics, and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 278. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hallo! Hey son, hey son. How are you guys? You look a bit tired, Andras, I must say. What's happening? <laughs> I fell asleep a couple of minutes before we started recording <laughs> at my desk. Uh, yeah, I just finished driving through the whole country and um, weightlifting and stuff. We were transferring stuff for the <laughs> Hungarian skeptics as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, yeah. It's a hard life. Yeah, I was driving with the sun right in front of me all the way, so it was even more tiring. So <laughs> so you're still here, that's dedication. Yeah, but, well, talking about dedication, I don't know how much I can contribute tonight, but <laughs> I will try my best. Yeah, yeah, good. How are you guys? Not too bad. Uh, the sun is shining. We have this, I mentioned this last year, I think, as well. We have this pool that we put outside on top of the lawn, which is a pretty big one. It's mm-hmm. four meters in diameter, so a round thing. And we put up uh, uh, that up yesterday, and it's already 22 degrees in the water, even though we don't. Wow. We, we were not warming it uh, artificially at all. It's just from the sun, uh, sunlight. So it's good. So summer is coming, at least to my garden. So have, have you already got yourself a dip then? I th- I'm planning to do it tomorrow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Hope the weather doesn't turn bad. No, it's By supposed then. to be fine all, all week, I think. Okay. <laughs> so, summertime. Yeah, finally. <laughs> Is it really summertime in Germany as well, Annika? Um, it varies. Like, we had a bit of a storm uh, a few days ago where, like, some people actually also had a bit of a flood going on. Oh, wow. But it's summery, but it's not completely summer yet. As the, that's at least what it feels like. Mm. <laughs> oh, there you go. Do you get out a lot with uh, with Luna? Do you go outside very often? Not really, because like she's too small to put sunscreen on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if she's happy in the pram, then then yes, because the pram has um, like UV protection. But if she's not happy in the pram, then we usually don't go out that much. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. All right. <laughs> Um, what's happened since since we did the last episode? Well, we got an email. <laughs> We've got several of them. We've got several of them, yes. Yeah, quite a buzz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always a delight to hear from our listeners. Yes. <laughs> it is indeed. And it looks, it looks like our, our little project of uh, help with the pronunciation is really working. I mean... We're getting a lot of suggestions, aren't we? Apparently we need that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's one of the things that it shows very clearly. Yeah, so we got an email from Cyril about um, the pronunciation of Marquis de Sade. <laughs> And I won't try it again, but we'll uh, just put it in here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Donation Alphonse François de Sade. And it's the full name that, that you did give a go at on the episode, right? And that was quite a long name. Yes, it's it's a pretty long name. So thank you, Cyril. That was uh, very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, thank you. And keep them coming, people. It's amazing to hear that hear you. Uh, but first of all, we, we've always loved you getting in touch. But um, yeah, 
this has caused quite a buzz uh, recently, so we are, we are very happy about it. Yeah, definitely. Keep them coming. Yes, <laughs> and we will definitely make those mistakes time and again. So <laughs> yeah, every show probably. Don't expect us to be too perfect in our pronunciations, so that you don't have anything to correct us on. Right. You will definitely. Yeah, and Annika, I heard some crazy rumors about parties in in Germany. What, what did I hear? Yeah, so it's actually quite close to us. Um, about a hundred teenagers they um, planned it in on social media, and then they met in a highway bridge <laughs> because for construction and for um, other like reasons like water channeling and getting water out of the the as waste system out of the highway bridge, they have hollow paths. And they even have doors and you can access it, but you normally can't access it. But these teenagers, they broke the locks <laughs> and then celebrated a huge party in a highway bridge Crazy. To, to hide from authority. Wow. <laughs> Crazy stuff. People are really, really wanting to meet again and they don't, you know, they're getting desperate. And I, I understand that, but you, you, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's like, on the one hand, like, I have to giggle about it because it's so absurd. But on the other hand, it's just like, could I also have been dangerous? And yeah. and we still have a pandemic going on. So it also is dangerous in that regard. Mm. So how, how bad is it in Germany currently? We're pretty good. So mm -hmm. um, everything is going down. <laughs> the whole country is going down. No, no, the numbers are going down. Sorry. <laughs> and shopkeepers' happiness is going up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, for example, we don't need to have negative tests anymore if we go into shops and stuff. So like everything, all, all the restrictions are um, mm -hmm. loosened up and yeah, it's a lot better now. <laughs> yeah, that's good to hear. Mm. It's getting a bit better here in Sweden as well. And I'm happy to say that I complained the other week about uh, how hard it was to get vaccinated because it was a complete chaos mm -hmm. and all the websites were crashing and stuff. Those problems seems to have been fixed. So uh, it's now much easier. There are times available. So if you're in the right age group, you can just log on and, and book your vaccination. So that's very good. It is indeed. Good. Yeah. Change is coming sooner or later to, to these systems and all yeah currently we are we are doing quite well here in hungary with the vaccinations as well but the rate of vaccinations per day has gone down significantly apparently we've reached the limit that was set up by anti-vaccination sentiments or just yeah. not necessarily because it's a combination of all those because there is some genuine vaccine skepticism as well and it's regarding mostly the the chinese one that people don't really feel confident about that. And it's totally understandable from a scientific point of view mm -hmm. because it's it hasn't been properly reviewed. It hasn't gone through peer review at all. And um, the results that have been circulating. But um, the, the Hungarian government really went shopping when it came to the, the Chinese vaccines and got millions of doses. And I think I've already mentioned it, that that is by far the most expensive one on the market, or at least the Hungarian market. Huh. So uh, it's ridiculous. It's it's just a money-making scheme for a couple of people close to the government. Yeah. So, so let me ask, since the government has bought all of these vaccines, it's the Sputnik and then just the Sinovac or whatever it's called, the Chinese vaccines, mm -hmm. that, that means that now that's what you have in Hungary. They're not lo looking to buy Pfizer and Moderna and the others because they already have enough vaccines they claim that they still have a lot of supply 
of all the other vaccines. Mm -hmm. We call them the Western vaccines. Yeah. But it has been a major topic on the news all over Europe, actually, that Orbán's government decided not to be involved in the next batch order of Pfizer, for example, Mm -hmm. which I believe it was for 2022 or something. But they decided not to go for it. And uh, that is quite concerning. I mean, if you think about the possibility, there is a very high chance of everyone having to to get vaccinated for a third or probably even a fourth time after a while. So the ones that we said no to, I mean, Orban's government, they could potentially include those that uh, will have been altered by then for the new strains, probably, mm-hmm. that uh, Pfizer is, 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 is working on. So that's quite worrying, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well. yeah, well, it could also be um, become a flu shot-like vaccination, right? So that we just do it every every year. Yeah, like a booster every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we should probably crack on with the show, right? Yep. Let's do that. Yes. <laughs> and the best way to kick it off with is always This Week in Skepticism. Yes. And This Week in Skepticism, we have a well-known scientist called Francis Crick, and he was born on the 8th of June, 1916. So we're not kicking off, we're cricking off. Yes, <laughs> we're cricking off the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Crick was a British molecular biologist, biophysicist and neuroscientist. And together with um, James Watson Ro- and Rosalind Franklin, he described the helical structure of the DNA molecule. Mm-hmm. Francis Harry Compton Crick <laughs> got awarded the 1962 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine together with Maurice Wilkins and James Watson. And he was British, born in Western Fevel, Northamptonshire in UK and studied at the University College of London, the University of London and the University of Cambridge. And apart from his work in biology, he was also a really interesting person. Um, He called himself a religious skeptic and regarded Christian beliefs as ridiculous. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So apparently he also said, and I quote, Christianity may be okay between consenting adults in private, but should not be taught to young children. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Good quote. (laughs) That's something we we sometimes also say, right? With like religion in school, religious education in school or in kindergartens. It even went as far that he accepted an honorary fellowship at Churchill College in Cambridge because it did not have a chapel. (laughs) And when there was a donation for a chapel, um, he resigned of uh, this fellowship because he didn't like to have a chapel there. (laughs) He also signed the Humanist Manifesto, which is a work listing six beliefs and signed by um, several notable um, signatories like Richard Dawkins, James Randi, Eugenie Scott. And the six beliefs are that knowledge of the world is derived by observation, experimentation, and rational analysis, so like empirical evidence. Humans are an integral part of nature and the result of an unguided evolutionary change. Ethical values are derived from human need and interest, as tested by experience. Life's fulfillment emerges from individual participation. Um, humans are social by nature and find meaning in relationships and working to benefit society maximizes individual happiness. Hmm. And that's um, like also one thing he signed that mm. the thing it's uh, the manifesto itself I found really interesting. That's why I wanted to give it a shout out. <laughs> but 
Francis Crick was also not without controversy. So there was an allegation of sexual harassment. He was very positive regarding eugenics, which is something you don't really want to be, especially um, after the experiences of um, the Third Reich in Germany. Mm. And essentially, he and James Watson were also using Rosalind Franklin's unpublished work without her knowledge and thus developed the model of the DNA structure pretty much with crucial parts of her work. And she was already dead when she got recognition for it. And this phenomenon is something that you can also call the Matilda effect. And the Matilda effect is a bias against women scientists and um, against acknowledging their work. Sometimes their work is then also attributed to their male colleagues. So with Rosalind Franklin, that was her um, her colleague, Maurice Wilkins, where a lot of people thought that he was her boss and she was only the assistant. But that wasn't the case. She was her own scientist. And this is called the Matilda effect by science historian Margaret W. Rossiter. But it was first described, and that's why it's called the Matilda effect, by a suffragist Matilda Jocelyn Gage. She wrote an essay called Woman as Inventor, and that's how the Matilda effect um, got its name. And there are a lot of examples for the Matilda effect. Rosalind Franklin is pretty much the most well-known of that. But going back to Francis Crick, he was one of the perpetrators of that. And thus is, on the one hand, a hero of science, but on the other hand, also someone um, who is not without doubt. (laughs) To finish the story, he died 2004 and also lived in the US for a long time. So yeah, I think it's very um, important to not forget yeah, scientists who did important things, but also to not forget that they're not always as um, white-coated as we think they are. Right, yeah. right. And one of the things that the Nobel Committee must find increasingly difficult as science progresses is to point at one person or a couple of people only that have done the majority of the job. And this is not really clear-cut with Crick, Watson and Morris Wilkins, who was the, the third one that they shared the prize with. And uh, why it was really interesting is that uh, he was working on DNA. Rosalind Franklin was working on the DNA in the lab that was led by Morris Wilkins, by the way. Yes. But there is the f- one famous, very famous X-ray diffraction picture, a photo, that was taken by not even Rosalind Franklin, but graduate student, Raymond Gosling. Yeah. So these are the things that we need to bear in mind that we have people who dedicate their life's work to something, but it's not only them that does the work. I mean, there are students, there are graduate students, there are PhD students, and sometimes the people who get the acknowledgement for the work are the ones, for example, running the lab. It's the same thing with Banting and Best and McLeod. Because MacLeod was the lab, the director of the lab where the work with the insulin took place. So um, this is how he, he was in, included as, as well and all that. So it's difficult to point at one single person when it comes to, to big breakthroughs in science. And it's increasingly so. Anyhow, thank you very much, Annika. Thank you. And that means that it's time for Pontus to poke the Pope. Yes. 
All right. Yeah, so the scandal of the mishandling of the Cologne sex abuse cases uh, that we talked about last week, uh, that is growing. And uh, on Friday last week, Cardinal Reinhard Marx, Archbishop of Munich, he offered his resignation to Pope Francis. And he did that not because he himself is accused of anything, but he did that to take personal responsibility for belonging to an organization that is behind all of this and this, the failures that they have in, in their obligations. So in a way, it's a commendable sort of uh, gesture, say offering your, your resignation, a way of saying that you acknowledge that there are problems in the organization. However, this uh, resignation is a much less of a deal than some reporting has made it out to be because Cardinal Marx has not resigned as Cardinal, even though it may sound like that. He has resigned as uh, Archbishop. And, and first of all, Francis need to accept his resignation for it to take place, otherwise nothing happens. And, and second of all, it could actually be a smart career move by this Cardinal. If, if Francis doesn't accept it, nothing changes, as I said. But if Francis accepted, it's still not the end of the world because he's still regarded as a good guy and you get some bonus points in the eyes of the public and you can move back to the Vatican and you can get a better job there or a new job there because uh, that's how it works. So there's two aspects to this resignation or this request to be able to resign. But in short, Francis still has an issue with his German bishops and it is far from over. We will hear more about that in the future, I am sure. However, the big tragic news last week is not about Germany. It's about the Catholic Church in Canada with the discovery of the mass grave at the former Canadian boarding school. And this is really, really a terrible story. It's almost like I, wa I want to give a little bit of a trigger warning here. For years... Uh, the policy of the Canadian authorities towards the local indigenous people was to put indigenous children in these boarding schools to quote-unquote assimilate them into the quote-unquote society, uh, meaning in essence a white European Western culture society. And in this particular school, which is called the Kamloops a residential school in British Columbia. It opened in 1890 and it was run by the Catholic Church until 1969 where it was handed over to the Canadian authorities that eventually closed it in, in 1978. So I don't want to go too much into the details of the horrific stories that, that's known about not just this school but other schools like it as well. But we're talking about beatings, uh, undernourishment and, and sex abuse. And I've heard one survivor saying that it wasn't unusual for classmates to quote-unquote disappear from time to time. And he and the others used to think that that was a good thing. That meant they had gotten away, that they had, had escaped somehow. But now the terrible truth seems to be something quite different. There are ongoing investigations and have been for several years to get to the bottom of all this. Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau has previously uh, apologized on behalf of the Canadian government and he has urged the church to do the same thing. He has criticized them for not apologizing in public. As late as uh, last Friday, 
he again described the Catholic Church as quote-unquote silent, and he said, quote, we are still seeing resistance from the church, end quote. So back to Francis now. Two days after Trudeau's latest uh, comment on this, on Sunday, uh, Francis held his usual Angelus prayer. This is the normal thing he does every Sunday on, on the piazza. What What's it called? Uh, the St. Peter's Square? Piazza San Pietro. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Francis commented on this and um, he, he talked about the, these latest findings and he told everybody how saddened he was and he urged everybody to pray for the families of, and for the native communities in Canada. But he didn't apologize. So I think that's quite deplorable and outrageous. He has been asked specifically by Justin Trudeau to offer an apology for this. I mean, of course, Francis wasn't even the Pope when this happened. So he wasn't there and he didn't make it happen. But he represents the whole organization, just like Justin Trudeau apologizes on behalf of the Canadian government for things that happened way before, even maybe before he was born. You can do that and you should do that. And Francis hasn't done that. And it's not an oversight. It is mm. everything Francis does is very, very calculated. And he has PR guys and he has uh, advisors and he knows what to say. And he, and he has decided not to apologize for this. And I think that's deplorable. It is. I agree. Yes, it is. Mm. It is. Uh, just a side note. In Canada, in the province of Quebec, mm. there was something that was called the Silent Revolution, and it was a major change in the political, religious, and economic setup of the province. And at the end of this, there was this very strong urge for Quebecois people to leave the Confederation of Canada. Mm. And part of that change was that from the Catholic Church, which previously had had the greatest influence on everything from people's private lives all the way up to education of children, that power was transferred from the Catholic Church to the, the provincial government. And that really hit the church in Quebec very hard. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it's interesting to think about it. Yeah, I, I think we, at least here on this podcast, we agree that education or any kind of public function shouldn't be done by religious organizations. No, no, no. It has to be secular. It should be secular. Yeah. And uh, then if you choose to become religious or stay within your... That's fine. You do that. It's your decision. But the government or the public system should not force any religion on you. Yeah. Especially on a young child. Yeah, but in, like in this case, they also basically abducted children and put them in the school. So yes. yeah. it's just like it's wrong yeah. on so many levels. Like That's right. Uh, it's just it's just so sad. Yeah, and it probably even murdered them. Yeah. Uh, or at least mistreated them so much that they died in hundreds of... And that is just one of the schools. Yeah. There are other schools that are being investigated as well. It's like a genocide in a way. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Bloody hell. Yeah, not the first one done by the Catholic Church, though. No. Yeah. No. If we look through its history, but uh, an apology is definitely in order. It's the least you can demand. Yes. Come on. Yeah. Francis. On the other hand, it could be argued that we sometimes say that about Germany, that the people of present-day Germany should not 
be feeling sorry for what the people of the Germany from 70, 70, 80 years ago did, because it's not your fault. I mean, it's... No, no. There have been three generations growing up since then. But with the Catholic Church, it's the institution that is still there, that still exists. It's still... And they still have the same belief systems. Exactly. And the same power structure and everything. So it hasn't changed much. I mean, it changed the face a little bit. I mean, not the faith, it's the face that I'm talking about. <laughs> but <laughs> it's basically still the same. Yeah. So that makes a large difference. A no, but it's a, it's a lot of difference between an institutional responsibility and an individual responsibility as a person exactly. growing up within that institution or country or whatever. Things that happen. Personally, you can't be held responsible for what you your relatives did or what your great-grandfather did. Of course not. But the institution still has a responsibility or the country still have a responsibility to try to repair yeah. as much as possible of old misdeeds. Yeah. You you remember when, or you probably don't, but you probably know it, when uh, the Catholic Church rehabilitated Galileo Galilei. <laughs> yeah, I do remember. It was 1995. Yeah. Right, That's yeah. late. And it was not John Paul II. It was Pope Urban VIII who was there when uh, the prosecution came against... Yeah, yeah, who mistreated Galileo, yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't John Paul II who had to apologize personally, but he was the head of the institution that did the thing. So it was in order. It was 400 years late, but still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So there's a precedent there. Even popes can apologize for things that happened before they had anything personally to do with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And before we get critical emails saying that it wasn't 400 years, yeah, I know, it was close to 400 years. So, okay. <laughs> between 1633 and 1995. Yeah. All right. It depends so, on when you're listening to this episode. Some people have them on. <laughs> they are way behind. So maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, you, if you're listening to this far in the, into the future, yeah, uh, you might be agreeing with me with my original statement over 400 years. All right. <laughs> Enough of this. Silly. Thank you very much, Pontus, for poking the Pope once again. Mm-hmm. And now let's see what's new around Europe. Yeah, so in Germany, we actually now have a counseling office for conspiracy victims. That's a cool thing, isn't it? (laughs) Really? Yeah. Wait a minute. Victims of conspiracy theories or actual conspiracies? Mm, It's like conspiracy theory victims. (laughs) Ah, okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Misspoke there. It's called Veritas. It's based in Berlin. And it's really for, for example, family members that have a person in their family who believes in conspiracy theories or a friend or so, they get messages from all over Germany and they usually try to help in how to communicate with conspiracy believers and how to take pressure out of the situation. For example, if it's your mother, your partner, whatever, there is a pressure there to still have a functioning relationship. They say you should try to find common uh, ground or to find activities that you can still do together and ignore the conspiracy belief for the time being. And they also try to find reasons for why people believe in conspiracy theories. And they say usually it's A, getting acknowledged in these kind of groups. 
So because you're part of a secret society that believes in 5G uh, <laughs> destructions, blah, blah. So you're getting um, attention within these groups. And it's B, feeling empowered because especially this um, pandemic situation made a lot of people feel powerless and they feel that they're getting their power and their autonomy back by being like oh yeah I can do something I'm doing something about my own freedom now and they feel empowered by that mm. other possible help if if people for example don't want to go to Veritas <laughs> is for example Sekteninfo NRW um, this is about sects and cults Mm-hmm. But there are also a lot of other things. There's also a new subreddit in German. So Reddit is um, a social media platform and, and the subreddit is like a subcategory of that. It's called conspiracy theory victims or related to it, so to say. Um, in German, VT Betroffene. <laughs> uh, we'll also put the link to that in the show notes. And this also for those who want to counter conspiracy theories in their family on their own a new book out by Katharina Nukun and Pierre Lamberti called True Facts. And this is the sibling book of fake facts <laughs> by, by the same authors. And this is um, meant to be a help and a handbook against conspiracy uh, beliefs and theories. Hmm. So we'll also put that in the show note. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's really interesting how many things we have now to, to help against these uh, conspiracy theories. Yeah, it's just a matter of whether someone reads them or not. Yes. <laughs> because you have to get them to read it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not worth it having that. But the handbook is important for you too, because then you have arguments to, to counter them. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's good to know that there are help to be had from different mm-hmm. uh, sources. The only thing I want to just complain a little bit about is the naming. If you talk about truth, and veritas means truth in, in Latin, Yes. Yeah. then you're sounding... Like the other side, True. because <laughs> yes, you know you're a truther. You know the truth about the conspiracy, etc. So, truth is also it's a problematic word to use in, in this yeah. concept. Yes, I agree. It's too categorical. Yeah, it's yeah. it's also too subjective. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. If it's like facts, facts is a. Uh, uh, this is why I like. Yeah. I like facts. Yes, we we all like facts, right? Yeah. <laughs> As skeptics, that's why we're here. <laughs> but uh, why I like the word fact is because it has this meaning of being what it is. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So a fact is a fact. You can interpret that fact and have your own truth about it, but but you cannot have your own facts. Yes. And that bothers a lot of people, and is um, especially those who have come up with uh, miracle solutions or m- miracle cures for COVID-19 or things like that. And we probably all remember the French doctor, microbiologist and uh, physician uh, Didier Raoul. Well, he was he got famous, especially after uh, President Donald Trump, or then President Donald Trump, uh, started promoting the idea that uh, hydroxychloroquine could be used against COVID nineteen. We by now we do know that it's not the case, but uh, Raoul in France did promote it himself. Well, the problem is that after a while he got quite a bit of criticism from the scientific community. And one of those critics of his was Elisabeth Bick, who is a Dutch-born science consultant, and um, she currently lives in the United States. And she specializes in duplicate images in publications, scientific publications. But this time, 
she started criticizing Didier Raoult's papers on the grounds that there are a couple of concerns that could be raised, including ethical, procedural, and methodological problems. And then, after a bit of a legitimate scientific criticism that followed by the science community, she found out that... um, Raoul had been uh, accused of a duplication as well, which is her own turf, so she started investigating it. And that resulted in her basically going through all his, I mean, Raoul's commented papers, which amount to 255 of them. Mm. And out of those 255, uh, Big managed to flag problems with images, with ethical issues, and other types of comments, in 63. Wow. So that's quite a high rate of finding something controversial or worthy of concern. And obviously, Raoul got into a counteraction and uh, he, he started att- attacking. And not only him, but his followers started attacking ferociously this woman who's been building up her name for a while as this investigator of duplicate images, which caused a lot of trouble in science publication. So, uh, but at the beginning, she was okay with all that because she understood that um, there were insults thrown at her for for her criticism of of, uh, Raoul's work. But then it it got really ugly. Uh, So ugly that she got a couple of very terrible harassment. But she got accused of the very same thing because... When someone flags a concern about your paper, the paper that you're an author of, you get notified by the publisher, right? And because it happened in such a short period of time, it was basically like being bombarded with these criticisms. So uh, Didier Raoult's lawyer decided to call this harassment on Elizabeth Big's part, which is absolutely ridiculous she was just doing her job and she does it as an activist mainly but it's unbelievable and then now it's all kinds of different things that she's being accused of and it's a legal case now what's going on so so he sued her for harassment yes yes because she pointed out that there were problems with his research that's right wow that's right so it's unbelievable but the good thing about it is there have been a lot of researchers who have shown their support for Elizabeth Bick uh, and her work, in this case as well. And it's an open letter that has been signed by more than a thousand different researchers. And what they argue for, and I think that is the most important take-home message of this, that scientific questions or discussions should not be settled in a courtroom. It's the work of science. It's It concerns the scientific community, and they have to figure out themselves whether these criticisms hold water or not. If they don't, it will go away after a while. But unfortunately, apparently, Raoul has so many concerning actions that he has made that uh, we need to be looking deeper into his work to find out what he's really up to. And this is basically a slap lawsuit that's been going on. So I think that the international scientific community is very, very right in showing support 
for her work. Yes, definitely. And I think this is one of the um, situations again where if we had like a, um, an umbrella organization, not only like like EXO with Europe, but with like the whole world, where we could actually have a fund for like slap lawsuits. Mm. Of course, there are benefits and disadvantages in having a fund like that. Mm -hmm. But it's probably time to have a conversation about that again. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been having that conversation uh, with with EXO for a while, but it's, it's difficult to set up. But uh, yeah, the idea is is definitely on the table, and it has been for a while. Um, legal stuff is always complicated, especially international law is it very is, it is. yes, yeah. But I think I, I you know I'm thinking maybe this is uh, Elizabeth Bick may be a candidate for a John Maddox Prize. Yes, yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. Nominations open a few days more. Yes, yes. Is, or, or, am mm -hmm. I right? Yeah. yeah. It should be. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And it's and it's ridiculous that uh, there is a scientific integrity consultant and then you sue her for harassing you for, for just pointing out the mistakes that you've made. Oh, and uh, there there's a blackmail allegation as well. Wow. Against Bic. That she was... I, I think it was about a joke that, that she made on Twitter. So, so she's supposed to have... So she uh -huh. jokingly said something that you know what you should pay me and then oh. yeah and <laughs> and that yeah yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure that it could not be upheld in a courtroom because it's ridiculous that it's obvious how why would someone uh want to blackmail someone in front of the public eye i mean yeah, that's right <laughs> that's normally not how you do it right on twitter it's just mailing then <laughs> yeah, you know what wink wink yeah <laughs> so you have to be stupid to bring that up in a lawsuit but well, apparently there are enough st stupid lawyers and people, including Didier Raoul. Yeah, and, and talking about people, <laughs> there's a right-wing party in Germany that has formed um, pretty much after another party, a COVID-denying or COVID-protest party. And um, this uh, right-wing party with uh, Zuckerit Bakhti um, no. as their candidate for federal government. So, yes. Not him again. Yes, <laughs> we heard that name again, right? Uh, before. <laughs> Um, this party got 1.5% in Sachsen-Anhalt, which is a federal country in Germany. So at least they didn't get the 5% to, to necessary to get into the government, but it's still a lot of people that, that voted for them. Mm. Yeah, and this party called Die Basis, the base, has around 16,000 members, including Wolfgang Wodak. You probably heard that name before too, also COVID-denying doctor. Uh, Jürgen Fliege, who was working uh, in television, mm -hmm. but is not anymore because he was so esoteric. What does his surname mean? Mm -hmm. Fliege? Yeah. Fly. Fly. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Or Bowtie. <laughs> Both. <laughs> Bowtie as well. Okay. Yeah. Bowtie and, and, and Fly are the same words in German. <laughs> Funny that. Okay. In Swedish, we actually call a Bowtie a Fly. Yeah. As well, oh, that's so. cool. Yeah. Then, then it's probably the mm -hmm. same route. <laughs> yeah. Swedish is just. Uh, very bad German. <laughs> okay. The the nice sibling. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and and they also have a member called Jens Benke who is a homeopathy lobbyist. Good bunch of people. So they have all the glory of uh, COVID deniers. Brain trust, yeah. <laughs> the party has an income of over um, 150,000 euro per month. What? Which um, From what? Got leaked, yeah, from their members, member fees. Wow, I should start a party. Yes. <laughs> party, party. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Let's party away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they, their goals are not completely clear. They say there are four pillars and they, these four pillars are freedom, mindfulness, swarm intelligence, so like hive mind, and power boundaries. 
Oh my god. Is it what what, what was it called again? The bullshit party? Mm, yeah. Or... <laughs> they also have a visionary, oh. a deputy visionary, and a querdenker. And a querdenker. Mm. Yeah, querdenker is like the not straight thinker. <laughs> right. We're starting to be familiar with that term now. Yes, uh, yeah, sadly you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard it in another mm -hmm. podcast as well yeah. the other day. So. Mm -hmm. And they all have in common that they have a problematic relationship to democracy. <laughs> That's very diplomatic. Yes, I uh, try to be diplomatic <laughs> because of slap lawsuits, you know. <laughs> ah, right. <laughs> ah, okay. And mm. yeah, Sukarit Bhakti is their candidate for the federal government. But as I said, they only got the 1.5 and not the 5% they would need. So yeah, but that's so could, far. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that next time they yeah exactly don't get more. It worries me so, to see yeah. how these <laughs> COVID and vaccine deniers they decide to form parties. One of the our uh, flat Earth laureates here in Hungary, I've mentioned him on a couple of occasions. He's president of a party that was involved in an election fraud back in 2018, <sighs> and uh, now he's forming the new party. Now that he he has gained much more support with his anti-COVID rhetorics, now he's forming a new party, which is, should should not be legal. <laughs> <laughs> it's also so weird that these people form parties to practically like to be in a in a system that they don't like and that they want to abolish. Well, didn't Hitler do the same thing? Yeah, it's like and that's also like very worrying because um if I remember correctly, another right-wing party in Germany, they said they wanted to be the the wolves in in sheep's clothing and that's a direct quotation of Hitler. <laughs> nice. Mm, so I was just like Nice. <laughs> Not a telltale sign really. Yeah. That something is off. It's like if you're quoting Hitler, then um, you should really sort out your priorities. <laughs> All right, I, I would like to to end the news segment with the, what we usually do here, or sometimes do here in, in the podcast, is we recommend books that we haven't read. Yay! Uh, but <laughs> it's a hobby of I mine. Think, <laughs> good then. So I hope I'm not doing something wrong here, but I think this is a, is a good book, and we hear a lot about misinformation about covid and and things but there are other misinformation out there and one thing that has been it has been pretty quiet i think in the media for a long time a couple of years ago it was more um, prevalent but i think it's still there beneath the surface and that is lyme disease and the question of chronic lyme disease so uh, lyme disease is the disease you can get from tick bites and uh, that is a real thing Lyme disease is a real thing, but what is not a real thing is chronic Lyme disease, where you do not recover, but you have a constant uh, disease that never, ever ends. And the, what usually is that you, uh, happens is that uh, people are telling you to take a lot of antibiotics, mm. enormous high amounts of antibiotics for years and that is very dangerous from all kinds of ways. Uh, and it is not a thing. What is probably the case here, and I'm not a doctor, but the general consensus among sensible people is that what is called chronic Lyme disease is probably a plethora of different problems, symptoms that you get uh, that you assign to Lyme disease because nobody i mean it happens all the time you go to the doctor and the doctor says well i can see that you have fatigue you have this and you have that and that but we cannot tell what the cause is that happens a lot uh, and you have generic symptoms and then 
quacks are telling you that, well, that is chronic Lyme disease and you should come to my clinic and get lots and lots of antibiotics. And people buy that and they buy these antibiotics. Anyway, back to the book. The book is called Maladie de Lyme, Réalité ou Imposture. So it's a French book. So it means um, Lyme disease, reality or fake, basically. And it's written by a, a professor called Eric Combe. I think that's how it's pronounced. If if it's not, people, you know what to do. <laughs> Just send us the, the sound file of how to pronounce it. But this is a book entirely dedicated to Lyme disease, what is true and what is not, what the facts are. And uh, as I said, I haven't read it, but uh, this guy seems to have a good uh, reputation. And I am glad that somebody's focusing on this kind of misinformation as well while the rest of us are getting drowned with COVID-19 uh, nonsense. Mm. So, so we'll post a link to, to that book in the show notes. Mm. Uh, we mentioned earlier the, the possibility of setting up an international legal fund for defending skeptics mm -hmm. against crooks. Now, um, I've been having this dream of doing the same with publishing mm -hmm. uh, books that have been written in different languages and publishing them in English. Mm -hmm. Because there are these books out And there's a lot of really good work that could be shared within international readership, but it's mostly done by publishers in English-speaking countries, like in the UK, in Ireland, in the United States. But they might not be that much interested in something that has been published in French or in Hungarian. And I have this uh, book uh, in my hands very often that is written in Hungarian. The title is Mass Paranoia 2.0. It's been updated with you know, the thoughts on um, COVID-19 and how, how we perceive COVID-19 as well. And Every single chapter I read, I finish it thinking, oh, this should be translated to English and read by many. <laughs> so many. So, yeah, if someone knows someone who could do that and help the international community of skeptics set up something like that, like an international publisher, mm -hmm. or has contact to an already existing international publisher who might be interested in this, uh, yeah, let us know. That would be, that would be fascinating, I think. Yes. <laughs> right. All right. But this has been all the news that we uh, had to talk about this week, which means that we are moving on to the closing segment, which is when someone has been really wrong. Oh, yes. The 6th of June was the Swedish National Day. And a tri trivia fact, uh, as national days go, that's a fairly new thing for Sweden. It wasn't actually established until 1983, and it's only been a public holiday since 2005. Uh, and that means um, that there's no real traditions on, on how to celebrate it. And for most people, it's just a random day off work and people are happy to stay home. So, uh, well, everybody's staying home right now, but... So you don't know what to do on this day unless, of course, you are a nut job and you decide to make shit up <laughs> like the new, quote, freedom for Sweden, end quote, movement. So this, <laughs> this so-called movement, because it isn't very big, but it can be very harmful uh, anyway, I think. 
It's very new. It's grown out of the anti-COVID restriction sentiments fueled by American QAnon conspiracy theories, including anti-Semitism, New Age spirituality, marketing of colloidal silver, alternative medicine, and, quote, freedom of wage slavery, end quote. Which, uh, well, I don't know exactly what that is, but I guess it, you're against getting paid. Uh, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> yeah, wage slavery. You, you don't want to have that. Anyway, these guys, this group, have before uh, the National Day, they arranged two illegal marches in Stockholm. And uh, this Sunday they did it again. And uh, if you were there, I wasn't, but I've read the coverage, you would hear shouts of, I hate Rothschild and other things. One of the organizers is trying to raise money to purchase land and found a new nation. So, okay, good luck with that. Bill Gates is supposed to have visited Sweden and threatened somebody in leading position. Perhaps the prime minister wasn't clear from the conversation, but... The threat should have been, uh, quote, either you do as I say and get paid or we will murder your family, end quote. So that's a supposed quote from Bill Gates. Sound, sounds like him. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> there were signs at these um, marches with uh, texts like, wake up, the pandemic, a fraud that destroys society, end quote. Also, COVID-19 is a satanic Jewish plan to catalog people. End quote. A new sign, stop 5G. We all understand that that's for some reason uh, an oppressive thing that people are being forced to endure. Uh, also, repatriation, alternative for Sweden. So that's not so uh, convoluted formulation that meant, means send all foreigners outside of Sweden. Total crazy batshit things like this. I'm glad to say that the actual marches have not attracted too many people. A couple of hundred, maybe 600 of one of them. Uh, the, the That one was called the Thousand People March, but they, okay, they can't count either. Yeah. Uh, but they, there are videos, of course, online, not just about the marches, but by these people and this group uh with nonsense after nonsense, just spinning all the conspiracy theories. And those have tens of thousands of views so i'm really really sad to see this happening here in sweden as well i used to think a couple of years ago i i used to think that sweden was pretty much immune to these crazy conspiracy theories but i was terribly wrong and uh, that's uh, that's bad and for that, you get today's prize for being really wrong. I could get the really <laughs> wrong. Uh, okay, maybe that, maybe so. But to round this off, for bringing all this ridiculous but still very harmful nonsense to Sweden, the Freedom for Sweden movement gets this week's prize for being really wrong. Another well-deserved prize. <laughs> mm. I, I think we have these organizations all over the world now. In every country has that. Yes. I'm just so disappointed to see it happening in sweden as well and since you're the one person committee for, for, for handing out the really of this segment yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right yeah yeah i think it should be called freedom for sweden or freedom for sweden <laughs> <laughs> or just freedom uh, sweden 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 uh, uh, 
Frieden. <laughs> I, I think, I don't know. It's so frustrating as well, because just looking at the all the signs that they're carrying, I'm sure that none of those statements are compatible with each other. Yes. But so the only thing that they agree on is that they disagree with everybody else. It's ridiculous. I can't understand how people in this movement and movements like this do not see how illogical and irrational uh, it is that they're doing. It's like this um, teenager t-shirt that I had that said, egal was es ist, Hauptsache ich bin dagegen. That means, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. In, in, English, <laughs> in English that is, and no matter what it is, I'm against it. <laughs> right. And like this is, I know that a lot, last time I said it, like climate uh, denialists are toddlers. Maybe, maybe these people are just like very tantrum-y, Teenagers? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm against it. It doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> they, are, they are in their adolescence, yeah. <laughs> It's funny you should mention that because I'm a very much uh, the Marx Brothers fan. Uh, you, you, do you remember the Marx Brothers? It was way before all of your time. They were f funny guys in the 30s in, in the US. And there is a song with uh, Groucho Marx called Whatever It Is, I'm Against It. Mm. And I was very tempted actually to play it here, <laughs> but I, I didn't prepare it. <laughs> All right. Anyhow, thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of the show. But before we go, obviously, we need a quote. And this week's quote comes from William Kingdon Clifford, who was an English mathematician and philosopher who lived uh, between 1845 and 1879, lived a very short life uh, that ended on Madeira, where I'm going Ooh. this weekend uh, mm -hmm. with a group. Be careful then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got tuberculosis there. So, uh, right. yeah, it shouldn't have happened. Just take care, Andres. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I will. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not implying here that uh, Madeira gives anyone tuberculosis. It's just uh, never mind. Moving on. So what he said was, if a man holding a belief which he was taught in childhood or persuaded of afterwards keeps down and pushes away any doubts which arise about it in his mind, purposely avoids the reading of books and the company of men that call into question or discuss it and regards as impious those questions which cannot easily be asked without disturbing it, the life of that man is one long sin against mankind. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. A wasted opportunity. Very enlightened. <laughs> yes. If you come here, you get born, and you don't try to seek new information, read books, call into question what you think, then, then you just wasted your time. I agree. But it's also like, where's the fun then? Yeah. Like... That would also be such a sad life. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's always difficult to face criticism, as we've seen happen on this episode as well. Like, uh, I don't, don't talk to you about uh, Didier Raoul. Facing criticism, especially a lot of it, is not easy to handle and to stomach. So, um, yeah, it requires a, a certain level of maturity. Yeah, for you not to be a toddler or an adolescent, never mind. <laughs> so we, <laughs> that concludes our show. And I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Many, many thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so and keep those emails coming. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis lat.
This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe I don't know what they have to say It makes no difference anyway Whatever it is, I'm against it No matter what it is or who commenced it I'm against it Your proposition may be good But let's have one thing understood Whatever it is, I'm against it And even when you've changed it or condensed it I'm against it I'm opposed to it On general principles I'm opposed to it We don't